So welcome back to episode number 187 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast for building a global community around process safety and issues handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we are covering five key takeaways from the 2021 Combustible Dust Incident Report. This is the fire and explosion incident report that we release every six months through Dust Safety Science. And the 2021 year-end report just came out in April of 2022. So we just released the report a few months ago. Um, you can download all of the incident reports if you go to dustsafetyscience.com slash 2021-report. There's a page there where you can download the current incident report and you'll get an email with all the rest of the old incident reports as well. We also have a summary page at dustsafetyscience.com slash 2021-report-summary. We just summarize all the calculations and all the information that was provided in the report if you don't want to download the PDF as well. Uh, if you want to get all the information, go to the show notes for this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 187, 187, which is a lot easier to remember, and we'll have all the links there. So in this episode, we're going to talk about why the incident reporting is important. We're going to give three notes, kind of three cautionary tales, I guess, about the incident reporting that we've learned over time. We're going to talk about what these five takeaways are from the 2021 year-end report. So why is the incident reporting important? That's not that easy to say. Why is the incident reporting important? This really goes against when we started or goes for or towards when we started dust safety science back in 2017, 2018, with the mission of seeing year of zero fatalities worldwide by 2038. The big question is, well, how are we going to measure that? It kind of comes back to the famous Pierre Drucker quote, um, what gets measured gets managed. And this incident database then that we created is our yardstick for measuring combustible dust fires and combustible dust explosions. And the incident reporting that we release every six months is just a snapshot in time of the database. So over the last five years, we logged 960 fires, 357 explosions, 720 injuries, and 126 fatalities from more than 40 countries around the world in the incident database. And every six months, we release a, a mid-year report and then a year-end report, a mid-year report and year-end report. This incident reporting allows us to kind of check in twice a year to, one, just measure what's happening as best we can. And we'll talk about some of the challenges with that in a moment, but two, to pull out the main themes that we're seeing. And we've had a number of these over the years that we've been able to pull out challenges with response to dust fires, both from workers and first responders is a big issue. That's what caused a lot of the loss of life and limb uh, from combustible dust incidents is response to a fire, then having that escalate to an explosion. We've seen challenges with small operations, both the resources needed to uh, say, perform a dust hazard analysis or do combustible dust testing. But then also considering that those small facilities are the exact same ones that we see time and time again coming up with large loss incidents in the, the incident reporting as well. So there's that duality or that difference there. Some of the biggest contributors are these small facilities, but they're also the ones maybe have the most challenge with implementing a combustible dust safety program, having the awareness to do that and having the knowledge to do that. How do we provide that for them? We've also seen there's a tremendous amount of loss and upheaval when an incident happens. It can be the family involved, certainly the individuals involved, but also the community, the industries in that area, supply chain, ports can be shut down, parts for different types of uh, systems can, can no longer be provided both locally and, and across the, the globe from a, a large loss incident when it happens. So these are some of the reasons why, you know, some of the themes we've been able to pull out over the years from combustible dust incident reporting. And this year, this uh, year, we're going to pull out these five takeaways for this incident report. So one last kind of note on this is that this incident database, all, what did I say, 1,200 incidents we've recorded, 720 injuries and 126 fatalities, more than 40 countries, 
All that is supported through revenue generated through Dust Safety Science, in particular advertising in the reports, sponsorship from companies, and companies becoming members at dustsafetyprofessionals.com as well. So if you go, I think it's probably page three or four on the incident report, look at the Meet the Professionals page. There's more than 50 companies there. Those are the companies that make this work possible. Those are the companies that make the work that we do at Dust Safety Science possible. From the working groups to the volunteer committees to things like the incident reporting and, and educational material that we put out are all from those companies that are involved in the work we're doing that support the mission that we're trying to achieve. So let's expand on this a little bit more. So before we get into these five takeaways, I just want to talk about three important notes from the incident reporting. There are you know, three kind of challenges that come up time and time again. So the first one is that the majority of combustible dust fires and explosions are not reported or misreported as other type of incidents. So this makes the estimating of error when we're performing quantitative analysis of the data really difficult. So sure, we can say, you know, it has an average of 30 explosions in the U.S. every year. But what is the the error? What are we not capturing there because we're only getting a small slice of what's actually happening? So the big point here is that the trends observed can't really be compared to each other all that well. You know, if we say we were seeing 30 uh, large loss incidents in the U.S., well, if that's capturing, you know, only 20% of the data, but we're only capturing 1% of the data in another country, they can't really compare apples to apples. But the kind of interesting thing that comes out of this is as the data set grows, we may see these common themes, these common qualitative aspects to the information we're collecting, like response to dust fires, like challenges with, you know, small facilities, um, like what most equipment's been involved in the large loss instance we're seeing. So it's sort of two heads to, to, to one coin. Majority of fires and explosions are not reported or misreported. So if you're saying, you know, why are there so many incidents in the United States? Well, we'll talk about that in, in a second. But the reason is that's a a result of the type of analysis that we're providing. It's also a result that we speak English. <laughs> uh, most of our team, we do have people that can read uh, German, uh, Hebrew, and a couple other languages. But we're capturing most of the incidents here more as a result of the system that we're using to capture incidents for the data reporting. The second note, and that kind of ties in, is that our best coverage is in North America, and in particular the United States. Tracking incidents in other countries is harder. Languages become a challenge. Um, regulations and requirements, just the general nature of how the reporting is done and the recording is done is different in different countries. So this doesn't mean that the U.S. has the most incidents, even though we're seeing that in our incident data. Um, it just means have the most incidents that we've captured. In general, we're capturing you know large loss incidents that have made the local news within the United States and large loss incidents that made the local news in other countries as well. But it's much harder to identify how much we are missing. Maybe we're capturing 30% or 40% of what happens in the United States and only 1% or 2% of what's happening in another country. So again, then that quantitative analysis becomes more difficult. We really need to look at the qualitative trends that we're pulling out of the data. So note number three is that we are improving our systems over time. In North America, when we have an incident that has a loss, when it has injuries or fatalities, this triggers protocols for our teams to perform enhanced research. We reach out to fire departments, we follow up with victims, um, we see their support channels, there are lots of other activities that get triggered when the incident comes through. We also, these larger loss incidents where there are injuries and fatalities, we track them over time to see, are folks recovering? Is there more investigation being done? Is there more information that's being released that uh, wasn't available when the, the incident first happened? How can we improve that record in our incident database over time? So that's one piece of us improving our systems. Second piece is that we are getting better global coverage. And we have a, a number of, we'll call them unofficial representatives from different countries. Folks that just keep supplying information, what's happening there year over year to the incident database. And my hope is that this would eventually be some sort of working group 
to develop a global reporting network for combustible dust. We're not quite there yet in terms of our capability and to be honest, our ability to to develop that global incident reporting network. If we're not that far off, we're getting there as well. So these are other ways that we're getting improved. If we're not able to read, say, Turkish, we may have access to a, an engineering society in, in that country. And I hope Turkish is actually a, a written language, but you get my point that is tracking some subset of the incidents happen. They can feed that information into the incident database over time. So we can add that to these trends that we're seeing and developing as we do our work. So there's three notes. So the majority of incidents are not reported or misreported. This makes quantitative analysis within the reports, comparing from different data sets, much more difficult. Our coverage is best in North America and best in the English language. And we are improving our systems to, to fix both of these things over time, but also to develop uh, protocols and processes to enhance the research that we're getting, enhance the individual records, and even give an idea of the amount of information that's available record to record so that when we do do research, maybe we do it only on the ones that have high fidelity information that have been, been developed over time. So then let's get into the meat of this episode. Let's talk about the five takeaways from the 2021 year-end incident report. So this covers all the data from 2021. So takeaway number one is just kind of a kickoff one to, to generally map out what we see. We see around 30 major, and I'll use the word major in, in air quotes, dust explosions in the U.S. every year. And here, what we, we mean when we say major, this is one that's made the local news generally because there might have been injury or you know a large loss or a video or even a, a fatality in, in some cases. So it's hard to say what percentage of that, that actually occurred. Maybe we're only capturing 30%. Maybe there's about 100 that are happening. We do see that our data is a slightly higher than what we see with Chemo Safety Board reporting in terms of number of, of dust explosions that they were seeing year over year, but not that far out of the realm either, only maybe 30% higher. So we are seeing over the five years we've been doing this now, 20 to 37 explosions per year. So that gives us an average rate around 30, 17 to 43 injuries resulting just from these explosions. Uh, again, also an average around 30 and one to six fatalities per year. And in the last five years, we've yet to have, thankfully, although I, I'm fearful that it will happen again, one of these breakout years where we have multiple multi-fatality incidents. History has suggested those will come. That's what drove the U.S. Chemical Safety Board to release their combustible dust hazard study when they had multiple multi-fatality incidents in one year. We haven't seen this in the last five years, um, and hopefully we won't see it happen again, uh, but that's always, always a possibility as well. And the last note on this is that these injuries and these fatalities are coming specifically from dust explosions, and we break this out in the incident report so we can compare to data sets like the U.S. Chemical Safety Board data. This does not include the fires that we are seeing in the United States, which I don't have the number here in front of me, but uh, I think is on the, the order of maybe 100 or so a year that we're seeing from the incident reporting. So that's takeaway number one, that the number of explosions that we're seeing with the United States generally ends up somewhere around 30 plus or minus 10 uh, that we're capturing in the incident database each year. Takeaway number two is that incidents involving dust collection systems may, and I emphasize may here, be playing a smaller role in the overall loss. This is something that I've seen over the last uh, three years, specifically and, and likely in our incident reporting before that, but that we mentioned in the incident report over the last three years, it keeps kind of coming up. So it's worth kind of bringing up here a bit. So the U.S. Chemical Safety Board's data, combustible dust hazard study that they released in 2006, suggested that up to 40% of the incidents were involving dust collection systems. And at that time, there was sort of a general understanding in industry that these are the most problematic areas for combustible dust in terms of where you may see a primary explosion 
or a secondary explosion coming from somewhere else in the facility, but involving the dust collection system. So there's a really big focus on dust collectors. Since the last three years in the incident reporting, we're really seeing that the dust collection systems are playing a lesser role. We're still seeing explosions. We're still seeing injuries and fatalities happen, but they're playing a lesser role than other piece of equipment, in particular silos, hoppers, other type of storage equipment. So in 2019, we saw that 22%, which is about half of what we were seeing from the U.S. County Safety Board reporting, of the incidents, that was 12 explosions, were in dust collection systems. And we were seeing about the same amount in storage silos and other type of storage systems as well. But the big difference in 2019 was that the number of injuries from dust explosions in storage silos and other storage systems was about triple what we saw in dust collectors. We didn't have any fatalities in dust collectors, but we had five fatalities in storage silos and other storage systems. In 2020, 13% of the explosions we recorded, and this was three, were in dust collection systems. These resulted in four injuries. Meanwhile, storage silos and other storage systems had a number of explosions resulting in 32 injuries and one fatality. In particular, they had 19 explosions that resulted in these, these injuries and fatalities. In 2021, again, 13% of the explosions were in dust collectors. These were 14, resulting in six injuries and three fatalities. And for storage silos and other storage systems, we saw 16 explosions with nine injuries and, and one fatality as well. So the point I'm trying to make here is that protection on dust collection systems in isolation, that's probably a bad choice of words, but only using protection on dust collection systems doesn't get you all the way you need in your combustible dust safety program. In particular, we're seeing a lot of explosions in other types of equipment that are playing as big a role, at least over the last three years, that we were seeing in dust collection systems. So a big caveat here is that I mentioned early on that qualitative or rather quantitative analysis of these type of incidents is difficult because we don't know the error associated with what we're not capturing. There also may be some error with how we are attributing these type of explosions to different pieces of equipment as well. Maybe we're doing that in a different way than U.S. Chemical Safety Board was or in a different way than other data sets as well. But seeing this trend repeat now three years in a row where we're seeing reduced impact of dust collection systems on the overall number of explosions and the overall severity of them as well is, is a trend that's worth at least keeping an eye on as we move ahead. The other note I want to put here is that a dust collection system is a critical part of a dust safety program, even if they're not the primary place the, place the explosion occurs or the secondary place where an explosion might propagate to. Their failure is likely one of the reasons why there's dust in other parts of the system, dust in the facility itself, and they may be a contributing factor to an incident that happens. So I'm not saying dust collection systems aren't important, I'm just saying that in terms of um, attributing the explosion to dust collection systems, we're seeing those percentages of incidents attributed to them as being smaller than some of the historical averages that we've seen there. This also, I guess, could be because maybe they're being protected more often. Maybe that level of awareness was brought up by that big push in the mid-2000s and you know moving into 2010s of protecting dust collection systems. I just kind of realize that right now. Maybe that's why we're seeing you know less incidents happening in them or the incidents that are happening causing less loss. That's kind of an interesting thing to maybe keep an eye on over the next couple of years as well. So that's takeaway number two. Incidents involving dust collection systems may be playing a smaller role in the overall loss. Takeaway number three is that the more detailed analysis of large loss incidents, the better. And you know that might actually seem obvious, I guess. Um, but let me, let me talk about why I say that. And this is actually from an incident that happened on February 25th, 2021 in Tuas, Singapore. They recently 
over the last number of months in 2022, released the report of the inquiry committee for the accident at Stars Energy. I'm not sure what the name's trying to say, E-N-G-R-G. So that could be engineer or energy. I think it's engineer, maybe Stars and Engineering. Regardless, this inquiry committee was put together to investigate the incident, determine why it happened, make recommendations to the, the government and to the industries that were involved as well. All the initial reactions from this incident appeared to suggest that it involved potato starch. This was a facility that made what was called fire wrap. So it's like the wrapping you put around ducting and pipes to prevent a fire from propagating from, I don't know if it's inside the pipe to the outside or outside of the pipe to the inside, but the sort of insulation wrap that you put around these pipes. Now at the facility, they made a mix of material involving potato starch and other materials, wrapped them in maybe aluminum foil or some sort of metal foil to make what were, they were calling these fire wraps. At the end of the day, there's a very large explosion at this facility that was making these fire wraps. And the initial reactions were that it must involve potato starch at the facility. And when I say this, there was a, a big push within Singapore after this incident, which unfortunately took the lives of three workers and injured seven more. But there's a big push to put a regulation in place for combustible dust. There was a big push to educate workers. There's a big push to uh, perform inspections at facilities that were deemed high risk in terms of handling combustible dust. Then once you get to the point of reading the report, it's kind of interesting as they found that the potato starch was actually a secondary factor for this incident that occurred and that it it played a lesser role in the injuries and fatalities than they they would have originally thought. So I'll leave the details actually reading the entire report um, to maybe another podcast episode. But if you Google this report on the Inquiry Committee on the accident of STARS E-N-G-R-G-P-T-E Limited on February 24th, 2021, uh, if you Google that, you probably come up with the report. But it ended up being an oil mist explosion. So when they made this mix that they put inside the, the aluminum wrap, um, they dumped the potato starch and other materials into the this uh, mixer that was heated. It was heated with an oil jacket. Um, and there's a whole bunch of issues with this mixer and, and this heater jacket system um, over a long period of time. But at the end of the day, it ruptured, um, causing an oil you know, mist spray. And this oil mist spray then ignited, which caused the damage to the facility. And from the report, they suggest that this was what fatally injured and injured several of the employees, that there were less severe potato starch, maybe flash fires that occurred but it's mostly the primary incident that caused the, the amount of damage at the facility, this oil mist explosion. So it's really good to get this information out. You know, it's not that good that it maybe is pointing to combustible dust not being the issue at this given facility. And we know that it's an issue at other facilities, so definitely don't want to downplay the risk there. But it's better to know what really happened because now we have a good idea that, oh, if you're you know running heated jacket mixer systems, that there's a whole bunch of challenges with that that might need to be taken you know, considered. And if you're running this at a facility that also handles combustible dust, you know, if they did have fugitive dust all over the facility, in this case, they, it appears that they did have some, but if they had more, this could even cause a larger secondary explosion. So knowing actually what happened at the end of the day is better than just guessing what happened. So that's what this point means. The more detailed the analysis of large loss incidents, the better. And that's why we're starting to do this enhanced incident research where we're pulling back every three months, six months, one year after large loss incidents and say, hey, was the report released? Uh, did the fire marshal come in? What kind of investigation was done? And can we add any more information to that data record 
for this incident. In the case of this 2S Singapore incident, we actually had to pull this out of the database as involving combustible dust, at least the injuries and fatalities. I think we left it in as a uh, combustible dust flash fire that was triggered by an oil mist explosion, but we removed the injuries and the fatalities that were attributed to that incident because they resulted from the oil mist explosion. So again, we'll have a link to that incident for the show notes of this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 187. That's the number one, number eight, followed by number seven. So let's move on. So the fourth challenge then is that coal mining and handling around the world is still a big challenge. And this is kind of an interesting one because we're seeing a decrease in the use of coal in North America in terms of power generation and even in terms of, of mining that, I, I believe. But this is still a challenge and even a growing challenge in other regions of the world. So the, the big one here that really was the largest incident we had in 2021 happened on November 25th in, I don't know how to say this word, but Gramotinio, Russia. Uh, Gramotinio, hopefully I'm saying that at least half right. This was a, a coal mine um, that had a primary explosion that appeared to be methane, although it's hard to get uh, great information on this. But it, what ended up happening was it ignited coal dust in the ventilation shaft filling the underground mine with smoke. So when this happened, there were 285 people underground. Although initial rescue attempts were made, uh, the Russian emergency services were forced to temporarily spend operations due to high risk of explosion. Both methane and CO2 levels were dangerously high in the mine. Um, 239 mine, at least 239 miners made it out, but uh, at least 47 did not. And in total, it's reported that 51 workers had died and 106 were injured from this fire that occurred in the ventilation shaft when the, the coal dust was ignited. So this is just a, you know, a tragic and really unfortunate reminder that mining activities are still a big area in terms of combustible dust safety, both for fires and explosions. But we're also seeing other incidents that are still involving you know, coal handling as well. In particular, um, on March, 20th of, March 2nd of this year, there's an explosion at a power plant in Thar, Pakistan. And I bring this one up because there's a, a very informative video showing the explosion. I don't remember if anyone was injured. Maybe I'll check here. Yeah, it did leave at least five people injured. The video shows a multi-story building on top of the power plant that's being fed by a coal conveyor that has a, a very large explosion in the building, um, blowing coal out of all the windows, and then the deflagration propagating back down the conveyor belt. So in its own right, that's a you know a large incident that occurred. But the interesting knock-on thing that happened was we got some requests through dust safety professionals from other countries in Pakistan looking for combustible dust expert support to evaluate their plants. This was several months after, you know, we reported on the incident. And the kind of interesting thing was I had sort of forgotten about it. And I spoke with a consultant in the local area who, who mentioned, you know, this um, Thar Pakistan explosion and remind me to go look back in the video he said there's really a big boom in Pakistan right now in terms of coal power plants. I took a look at this and there's a scientific paper called What Drives Pakistan's Coal Fire Power Plant Construction Boom? Understanding the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor's Energy Portfolio. That's uh, quite a name. It's by the authors Bahandri and Gallagher. And I didn't read the entire paper here, but just from the abstract, I pulled out these numbers. The coal energy being supplied in Pakistan from 2016 was... 624 gigawatt hours. And that's increased by a, a very large number to 15,000 gigawatt hours. So over 15 times, almost 30 times in over a period of two years by 2018. So they're seeing a tremendous uptick in power plants being developed and being brought online. 
and with this mass development then brings own challenges for combustible dust safety. I'm hoping to get an interview lined up in the next couple of weeks with uh, a gentleman from Pakistan that's consulting this area and he kind of share this information on this boom. Uh, and I mean, that's not a great word to use, but boom in terms of the growth in power pl- coal power plants in Pakistan, but then also what the level of safety is at these type of facilities. So that's it for takeaway number four, coal mining and handling around the world is still a big challenge. Takeaway number five is that the legal ramifications for ignoring combustible dust uh, in terms of the corporations and the, the workers and supervisors and management teams involved is becoming more prevalent around the world. So when we look back at this incident happening in Russia, it was announced by local news sources that three people, including the director of the mine and his deputy, had been arrested on suspicion of violating industrial safety rules. Um, it was also reported that the court ordered two safety inspectors who had issued certificates for the mine that month but not actually check the facility to remain in custody. We don't have an update on that, but you know, it sounds like that's uh, moving forward in in that sense. In the incident in Singapore that we talked about, the inquiry committee, the IC, had concluded that criminal offenses had likely occurred with respect to the company and its owner and management team leading up to that fatal explosion. They do not have the power to lay charges, but they have the power to make a recommendation to the courts, I believe, in that country, and that was the recommendation that there likely was criminal offenses that occurred. Again, we're having moved to a stage where any charges have been laid in that um, incident. We did have charges laid in the UK Bosley Mill explosion in 2015, where the managing director was given both prison time and fines. But to, to be honest, both seemed quite small, given the multiple people had died in the explosion. But that's at the forefront of our minds that happened last year as well. And then most recently, in the case of Didion Milling, where we had five deaths and a number of injuries in 2017 in Cambria, Wisconsin, at the time of recording this podcast episode, which is um, in June of 2022, I think uh, two months ago, well, I think in, in maybe March or April or maybe May, these federal indictments had come out from grand jury on the Didion Milling explosion. These federal indictments suggest that Didion Milling willfully violated two federal safety standards promulgated under OSHA by failing to develop and implement a written strategy for preventing and removing combustible grain dust and failing to install explosion suppression and venting equipment on a dust collection system. And they do have allegations against, I believe, the chief operating officer, but I'm not sure about that, and several of the mine management team, not the mine management team, but the, the mill management team, for conspiracy to commit fraud by agreeing to take deceptive measures to conceal the failure to adhere to food safety procedures at the mill conspiracy to commit federal offenses to conceal violations and unsafe conditions from auditors and government agencies and providing false and misleading testimony after the explosion to OSHA once it occurred. So whatever your stance is on whether or not corporations as entities should protect individual responsibilities and actions with regards to health and safety, whatever your stance is there, it appears that this is coming and it's important to get ready for. We're seeing it happen in several countries around the world where we're having large loss combustible dust explosions where the facility is operating with large amounts of fugitive dust without effective cleanup program, without prevention and protection measures in place. And we are seeing where that's becoming illegal. Legal ramifications of that are happening with the workers involved and even the companies involved. But it does sound like in some of these cases, the profits of the company are being put up on the chopping block for not uh, providing safe facilities for these workers to work. So that's the last takeaway from this. The legal ramifications of ignoring combustible dust are becoming more prevalent here in North America and around the world as well. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. We covered five key takeaways from the 2021 combustible dust incident report. 
we talk about why the incident reporting is important. It's our yardstick to measure our one year zero fatalities worldwide by 2038 mission. We're able to identify both numerically, are we able to find any instance that cause um, loss of life? In this case, since we've been recording over the last five years, we have every year. And every year we've had multiple instances, multiple cases of this, but also allows us to identify the challenges and hopefully some of the solutions at a global scale. When we start looking at this as a large data set with hundreds of explosions, thousands of fires, um, you know, hundreds of injuries and hundreds of fatalities as well, we started to say, what are the common things that we're seeing, at least in the data that we have? We did acknowledge three important notes. You know, the majority of combustible fires and explosions are not reported or misreported. Our coverage is best in, North, best in North America, in particular the United States. Now we're looking to improve our systems over time, including incident follow-up and better global coverage. With these challenges, though, we are getting enough information to make these kind of qualitative observations of what are the challenges we're seeing, what are some of the solutions that we can use to develop those over time. And I'm hoping that our strive to improve the system over time will lead to this working group to develop a, a global reporting network um, on combustible dust. This is something that I've been talking about for a couple of years now. It's just a pretty big thing to wrap our hands around and take on as as our small team here. But it is something that we're we're leaning into over the next couple of years and, and that we'll be doing um, as we can develop the instant database. To close out the episode, the bulk of it was these five takeaways. So we see around 30 major dust explosions in the U.S. each year. It's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two, instance involving dust collection systems may be playing a smaller role in the overall loss. Takeaway number three, that was the more detailed analysis of large incidents, the better. This gives us the way to change the records over time and understand uh, more and more about the, the large loss incidents that are occurring. Takeaway number four is that coal mining and handling around the world is still a big challenge. Takeaway number five is that the legal ramifications for ignoring combustible dust are becoming more and more prevalent around the world. So as I mentioned at the outset, all of the links for the incident report, the chemical safety board report, some of the instances that we talked about in this episode are available to show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 187. Other than that, I want to thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing in industries handling combustible dust, making them safer with the work that you do every day. Mm-hmm.